Hello, welcome to the Catholic Link Podcast, the podcast for busy Catholics. My name is Father Rob Adams, and once again, I'm alone today, but I wanted to share something with you that I've been thinking about a little bit, uh, just because I think it's cool, and I think it's really important theologically, because it's about God. Surprise. The Feast of Pentecost. And Pentecost is a really, really weird feast day. It's super duper weird. And it's because it's the only feast day, as far as I know, if you know better, please correct me. I'm willing to be corrected and change. But as far as I know, it's the only feast day that's from Moses's instructions in Leviticus, the, the feast days that Moses tells the Israelites that they're to celebrate. Pentecost is the only one of those that Christians still keep. Every other of the major Jewish holidays we we don't do, or if we do, we have a different version of it. So first and foremost, there's Passover, and we have Pascha, right? The word we use for Easter in English means, uh, well, it's a, it's a kind of anglicized way of saying the other word. And if you speak another language, you speak Spanish, or, you know, if you speak Latin or something like that, you know that the word for Easter is not Easter, it is Pascha or Pasqua in Italian and, and all kinds of other languages. So we have not the Passover, but the Pascha, right? Our Passover, which is Jesus's passion, death, and resurrection. Jews also have the Day of Atonement. We don't do that. But incidentally, we do celebrate the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross pretty close to it. Jews have the Feast of Booths. We don't really have anything that corresponds to that, except kind of how the readings focus on the end of the world, right? The, the, the Feast of Booths is kind of this idea that the world is temporary, that we live in a hut that gets broken down. So yeah, I mean, we focus on the end of the world. Jews don't, but that's our thing as Christians. Jews have Hanukkah. Moses doesn't tell them to celebrate that, but it is one of their holidays and we, we don't do that. We have Christmas at the end. So I hope that you're kind of getting that all of these major Jewish holidays have been either abrogated by the new covenant or they're just they're just gone, right? Or, we, or we've, we've changed them a little bit. Pentecost, not as much. Pentecost is still a feast day. Now, granted, it means something a little bit different, but the bones are still there, starting with even the word itself, Pentecost. If you know it, if you've ever thought of the Pentagon, why is it called the Pentagon? Because penta means five. So pente, cost, means 50 days. It's a feast day, 50 days after Passover for the Jews and 50 days after Pascha or 50 days after Easter for us as Christians. So it's very much tied to that original date. It's always throwing back to the more important feast day, which is Passover or Easter. Now, for Jews, obviously, it's not about the Holy Spirit because Jews don't believe that there is a Holy Spirit, technically speaking. So what is it about? Well, in the Bible, the Feast of Pentecost is actually about a harvest. This is the time when all of your spring grains that you planted back in March and late February are now able to be harvested. So there's a strong agricultural thing that, that our, even our harvest itself, the way we get our food, is connected to the way we celebrate our faith. I want to say that our Christian Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, not Passover, but pretty close, 50 days after Easter is still a harvest festival. It's still a harvest festival. I know a lot of the, there's a lot of very holy people who talk about, you know, Pentecost is the birthday of the church. This is what, okay, great, great. I don't know. It's not my job to correct you. 
but it is fundamentally a harvest festival. And what do you mean by that? Well, you notice in the in the Acts of the Apostles, when it describes Peter and the apostles speaking out in public, notice that it doesn't say that they speak in tongues. Like when we hear the idea of speaking in tongues, I think it's really tempting to think about it like you might hear in a charismatic community or in a Pentecostal environment where they're kind of speaking some different type of language. It's it's hard to really articulate. It's, it's, it's a very different sound. That's not what Acts of the Apostles says is going on. It says that the apostles speak and people hear them in their own tongues. That's different. That's very, very different. Now, what's going on there? So, yeah, the apostles can now magically speak other languages. How is that a harvest festival? Well, it's really meant to be harvesting in the whole world. And the church sees Pentecost as actually kind of undoing an event that happened. Well, happened is a strange word. An event that we talk about a long time ago. And that's from Genesis chapter 11, which is the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel is a great story. Go get your Bible and read Genesis 11 because you really need to. Now, I'm going to just kind of preface this by saying, no, you don't have to believe the Tower of Babel is the explanation for, for anthropological changes or the, the difference in languages. I, I don't think you really need to believe that. This is, in some sense, uh, in, in the best sense of the word, mythology, right? It's not not false. It communicates some truth, but it's not trying to communicate a historical event as much as it's trying to communicate a point. Now, what do we have? What's the point in the Tower of Babel if it's not an actual explanation of different languages? Well, we got to read Babel largely in the context of Genesis itself. That's, I mean, duh, but it needs to be said. Genesis after, well, we think of Genesis as this like great book of the history of creation and, and God with the patriarchs. No, Genesis is a rough book. Genesis is rated R. Don't, don't let your kids read Genesis. Or if, if you do, make sure you read the good parts. Genesis on the whole is very rated R. It's, it's a dark, dark book. And it's dark because in the very beginning, right, God makes the world and it's beautiful. But then after sin, after mankind introduces sin in the world in Genesis 3, the rest of the book is actually about describing how the world goes downhill. Things get worse and worse and worse and worse after the sin of Adam and Eve. So this is where we get right after Adam and Eve's sin, we have murder. Cain and Abel enter into the world and we have murder and death. We start having all kinds, all the, that weird stuff about the Nephilim coming down and, and mating with humans. It's not really meant to be this, this great kind of cosmology. It's saying that things get so bad that it's like men were mating with demons, that, that there's this like half demon, half man race on the world. Uh, it's a way of saying that sin has made us not like God, not in the image of God where we were created in the beginning of the book, but more in the image of sin and demons and death that we start to get towards the end of the book. So with that in mind, Genesis 11 is describing a world that is fundamentally very broken. Now, it's interesting because the story of Babel that we read on the vigil of Pentecost it, it talks about men and women learning how to make bricks and mortar. And that's weird. It's the idea that the world is not, how do you say it? Technology is not neutral. Technology is not neutral. Technology, obviously, you know, there's good stuff. It can be used very well. 
But because of sin, even technology, even this thing that's good and helps us eat and live and have more comfortable lives, even technology can be used as a way for sin to enter into the world. So men and women learn how to make bricks and mortar, and they say, ah, let's build ourselves a city. Okay, so far so good. We're building a city, a community, nothing wrong with that. But then it says, we want to build this tower that reaches to the heavens. In other words, we want to be God. We want to be the one to decide how the world works. We will build our community on us, on our unity. Now, if you've read Genesis so far, you should see this as a big red flag. If you're, if you're just listening to the podcast, I'm waving my, my red flag, right? Big red flag. Why is that? Well, humanity is not a source of unity in Genesis. Humanity is a source of sin, brokenness, and disappointment. And when we try to build a community on sin, brokenness, and disappointment, what do we get? Disunity, brokenness, confusion. If you build on a bowed foundation, the house is going to fall down. And so the Tower of Babel, the way the story says is that God sees it being raised and he says, oh, we got to do something because otherwise we'll never stop them. Well, that's, that's a really old way of writing. You know, the Bible is old. But fundamentally, the story is kind of about when we try to build a world without God, we're going to get more division. We will not get more unity. The more we try to exclude ourselves from who we are and how we were made, we're not happier. We're more broken. So Genesis is using that kind of fundamental truth as a way to say, well, this is why we have different languages. The different languages of the world, maybe they don't result from some great mythological moment, but they do point to a fundamental disunity inside of the world, that the world itself is not as together as it should be. Now, with that in mind, let's look now back to Acts and Pentecost and look at this as a harvest festival. In Pentecost, all the languages are unscrambled, right? The effect of Babel is reversed. Now they speak their kind of redneck Galilean dialect and Romans understand them and Arabs understand them and Persians understand them. Wow. Now it's not that we're speaking in gobbledygook, but we speak whatever we want and everyone understands it. And in other words, all of these places that are described, Parthians and Greeks and Romans and Arabs, they're drawing a circle around the city of Jerusalem. God is rebuilding a unified humanity around the worship of him. His church, in other words, is this new city, this new brick and mortar thing that is going to bring humanity back together. Really, really cool. So when we think about Pentecost as Christians, it's this great harvest where God is harvesting the whole world. All these people who have been desperately like striving to find God and doing their best to find happiness and all this, God's now bringing them in, all that grain, right? But Christians believe in something called the semina logi, which is a really weird way of saying the seeds of the word. So obviously, right, you have to have Jesus to, to have the gospel and to be saved, but what about people who don't have that? Like, what about the Buddhist monks living in Myanmar who never really got preached to? Were, were they, you know, were they just out? Well, the answer is we don't know, but we do know that the good things that they have are from Christ, right? The good parts of Buddhist teaching are, are from Jesus, right? The good things in all religions are ultimately seeds of the word, seeds of divine logic, which is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. It's, it's Christ himself. 
And with the power of the Holy Spirit, now those seeds are growing and they're producing fruit. And so I think it's really cool that is for, Christ, for us Christians, we need to think of ourselves as being part of this great harvest, not the scary doom harvest at the end of the world, but the great harvest of God bringing in all these different people, all this different stuff. Um, it's time for them to, to reap their harvest. But also, it means that by being a part of the church, the Holy Spirit is actually doing something in you. The Holy Spirit is actually changing the world, is building the world back together on its solid foundation of unity in God. Now, I want to contrast this a little bit with how we see, you know, the outside world, because I don't know about you, but when I look at it, the outside world, I don't see this great unity of mankind joining hands and reaching across the aisles. I, I, I don't see it. Maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, good. I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't see it. And I think when we look out at the world, we see Babel kind of happening again, just as Pentecost is happening and God's reaping his harvest. Babel is still trying to build this tower. Our world is trying to build an entire community around not God, right? Sexuality is whatever we want it to be. Uh, my life means whatever I think it does. I decide who gets to live and I decide when I am done living, right? We, we think about all this stuff that the only thing that really matters is as long as I don't impose anything on anybody else. That's not the truth. We do have a fundamental calling and a destiny as human beings. And the church, thanks be to God, is trying its best to uphold that truth. But the world is still trying to build a kind of rival church, a rival babble that reaches up to heaven. And what do we see the result? Well, we see the result is more anxiety, more brokenness, and more confusion. I always want to ask people when they kind of highlight the glories of our, of our current world, they say, how's that going? How's that going? It's not going well, or at least it's not going as well as you think it is. And the same thing can be said a little bit about the church, this great unity that God's trying to rebuild. The more that we compromise with, with building a society around God, building our church around God, the more that we try to make our church a part of the world, uh, we're, we're kind of moving into this confusion and brokenness territory. So I would just challenge everybody to really try to, to pray that the Holy Spirit would use you as an instrument for bringing this world back together that your membership in the church is not just for your own salvation, but it actually kind of puts out a mycosynth roots, right? Like, like mushrooms do, where we're building a new blanket, a new network to envelop this world and bring it back together and hopefully bring it back to the joy that God had in mind for it at the beginning. This is the Catholic Link podcast. You can go check out all of our stuff over at catholiclink.org. My name is Father Rob Adams, and I hope to see you next time. Until then, God bless you.